Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and it's great to have you listening to our sermons this way. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can find us on our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. You can also check us out in person if you're in the area. We have Sunday school at 9 o'clock and worship at 1010. Now today, we're beginning a new series of sermons in which we're going to be taking a look at some of the ideas, sayings, and thoughts that we assume are in the Bible but actually aren't. There are quite a few statements that we hear often, and they sound religious and accepted by many, so we assume that they're in the Bible, but a closer look will show that the Bible does not teach these things. Now, in many cases, the Bible does have something similar in it. Usually there's some kind of biblical basis for these sayings, but at times they are taken out of context or misinterpreted. And when it comes to the Bible, context is everything. I mean, think about it. How many understandings happen in life due to a lack of context? So what is context in relation to the Bible? Well, understanding context means looking at what was written before and after the verse or verses that you're looking at. We can't just pluck them out and make them mean whatever we want. It means looking at what the original languages may have meant, the time period and culture in which it was written, who it was written by, and who it was written to. So understanding context is vital to figuring out what God may be trying to say and how we interpret the scripture for today. So each week during this sermon series called "Out of Con- called um, That's Not in the Bible, we are going to be looking at a different saying. And today's saying is, ask and it will be given to you. And we're going to be looking at the scripture in Luke, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, where Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Ask, seek, and knock, right? And then there's a related passage in Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21, stating that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And then there's one in Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, that says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So how do we view these passages? Well, the view amongst many is that Jesus is teaching we can pray and receive anything we want if we just beg long enough and have enough faith. Ask and it will be given. Seek and it will be found. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Some people call this name it and claim it theology. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so all things are possible. It is true that a positive attitude is a good thing to have because it can motivate you to go after things, but it's no guarantee. This prosperity gospel teaches that if you just have enough faith, you can pray for and claim good health and happiness and wealth and whatever you want. You want to be healed of that disease? Just pray or go to a faith healing event or just send in money. And it it might not always be that extreme, but still there's a prevailing belief that if you do not get what you pray for, it must be due to a lack of belief. So if you don't get better or you don't get what you want, you either deride yourself for not having enough faith or you question your belief in God altogether. The thing is, all these views come as a result of taking Scripture out of context and making it say something it was never meant to say. So let's look at the Luke passage first, the one where he talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And basically the idea that if we pray, we can get whatever we want. If we look at the verses before it, starting at verse 1 in the chapter, 
we see that Jesus' teaching here is in the context of his teaching the disciples how to pray. And he gives an example of prayer, which we know of as the Lord's Prayer. And I want to focus on the part that says, give us this day our daily bread. Basically, what he's saying is he's praying that God would give us what we need for the day. So right away, we see a difference here between praying for needs and wants. You know, they're not praying for everything they want. They're praying for what they need. And for that matter, they're not even being specific. They're just asking for daily bread, which is a way of saying what we need. Our God gives, opens, and allows us to find what we need. But this kind of prayer is not a blank check for whatever we want. And Jesus taught that God answers prayer, but didn't guarantee we would get what we want. So Jesus' assurances about asking, seeking, and knocking assume that those who ask, seek, and knock are asking from their need and within God's will for them. But prayer is not a magical incantation that lets us get what we want. I call that vending machine theology, the idea that if you just put in the right thing, you just press the right buttons, you're going to get what you want. But that's the wrong way to approach prayer. Because the purpose of prayer is not to get what we want, but to develop a relationship with God. Prayer is effective not because of our cajoling or our begging or because we found the right words or have enough faith. Prayer is effective because God's nature as a God who loves his own He wants to give to those in need. Prayer is effective because God is effective, not because our prayer. And this brings us to our Matthew passage about moving mountains with enough faith. I guarantee that you will not literally move a mountain, even if you have all the faith in the world. You know, Jesus would oftentimes use exaggeration when he's making a point. So he's not being literal here when he talks about moving a mountain. He's saying that that you can do great things through prayer. And there's no doubt that with faith and prayer we can do great things, but within God's will. So then the question becomes, why does God sometimes not answer prayers that we would consider needs? You know, a a person is ill or a child is dying. And the answer to that is, I don't know. Sometimes the best answer to certain questions is, I don't know, because it's the most honest answer we can give. The Bible doesn't clearly answer that, and I think that there are some questions that don't really... We don't really have the answers accessible to us, and that's where we have to trust in God. But what I do know is that when people are taught that they should pray for healing because if they just get enough people to pray long enough and hard enough and with enough faith, the person will be healed, that's dangerous. Because then when the person doesn't get healed and they die, then those who prayed, their faith is on the rocks or they beat themselves up for not having enough faith. No, the reality is that for whatever reason, sickness and death and suffering have always been a part of life. Remember, Jesus and most of his disciples were all killed for their faith, and I don't think any amount of prayer or faith would have changed that. So we should not infer the guilt-inducing conclusion that when hoped-for miracles fail, that it's it's our, our problem, that it's our fault. I think that what we need to infer, you know, is that sometimes for reasons we don't understand, we just don't get our prayers answered the way we would like. And it doesn't mean we should stop asking or hoping, but, you know, we ask and hope, but with the knowledge that it's not up to us or our faith or our prayers to create healing. It's up to God. Prayer does not create miracles. God is the one who creates miracles. You know that Philippians verse about doing all things through Christ? 
Oftentimes it's applied in the same manner, meaning, you know, you can do anything with Christ, whether it's healing or winning the big game or whatever. But actually, in context, this verse is all about being content and persevering through times of need rather than simply being granted the strength to do anything. Paul is not boasting here that he can achieve anything through God, but that God grants him the strength to be content no matter what happens. Some translations say, I can endure all things, which I think is uh, more accurate. And when we look at the verses preceding this one, we find that Paul is writing about how he's lived in periods of plenty and in want, and he's learned the art of being content, whether he has a lot or if he has little. I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. That reads differently, doesn't it? I think that this is a good passage for us in life, perhaps much richer than the belief that if you have enough faith, you can bypass suffering and pain. Anyone who's lived long enough knows that's not true. A deeper kind of faith sustains us in the midst of the storm. Our faith helps us to thrive during the good times and to endure the difficult times. But faith is about endurance, not avoidance. And this is good to know because life will eventually bring you disappointment if it hasn't already. You know, we naturally like to try to make sense of things. We create theories and theologies to try to package up life in a nice pretty bow that makes sense in a cause and effect manner. If I just do this, then that will happen. Or if this bad things happen, or if this bad thing happens, there has to be a logical cause. And then if I can just do this instead of that, then my problem will disappear. Like clockwork. Sometimes pastors get into the act too and, like a politician, make bold promises that they cannot fulfill. If you just follow Jesus, your problems will go away. Just have faith and your depression will end. Marital problems? Just dedicate your marriage to God and watch those problems melt away. There have recently been some popular Christian-based movies promoting this type of theology. But the problem is, life doesn't always behave the way we'd like it to. Dedicating your marriage to God is a great thing, but it doesn't mean you won't have marital problems anymore. Faith always helps, but science and experience tells us that faith alone usually does not end depression. Sometimes medical treatment is necessary, and there's no shame in that. When our theology doesn't support our experiences, it may be a clue that our theology isn't all that it's cracked up to be. We should allow our experiences to inform our theology from time to time. Because the truth is, dedicating your life to God does not mean your problems will go away. Jesus never promised that. Ever. It's a misconception and a false advertisement whenever it's said. No, what is true is that when you dedicate your life to God and seek to follow him, you will have someone with you in the midst of the strife. It means you'll have someone who loves you and forgives you of your sin. It means that you have someone through whom you can endure all things and learn the art of being content whether you have what you need or whether you don't, whether you're living with ease or with problems. God gives us strength. God reminds us that life is bigger than our current problems, no matter how big they may seem, and that with God we can remember that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Maybe God will deliver you from your problems. Sometimes he does, and there's nothing wrong with asking. But ask knowing that he can, but that even if he doesn't, that he'll sustain you through it. Trust that God is with you, and that even when life ends in death, God will still have you, and even death will not have the last word. It didn't for Jesus on Easter morning, 
and it won't for us either. Amen. God bless and have a great week.